Chapter Six, Section Three of the History of Mister Polly by H. G. Wells. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Adrian Pretzelis. Chapter Six, Section Three. Five. It was in the vestry that the force of Mister Vole's personality began to show at its true value. He seemed to open out and spread over things directly the restraints of the ceremony were at an end. "'Everything,' he said to the clergyman, "'excellent.' He also shook hands with Mrs. Larkins, who clung to him for a space, and kissed Miriam on the cheek. First kiss for me,' he said, "'anyhow.' He led Mr. Polly to the register by the arm, and then got chairs for Mrs. Larkins and his wife and then turned on Miriam. "'Now, young people,' he said, "'one, or I shall again.' "'That's right,' said Mr. Voles. "'Same again, miss.' Mr. Polly was overcome with modest confusion, and turning found a refuge from this publicity in the arms of Mrs. Larkins. Then, in a state of profuse moisture, he was assaulted and kissed by Annie and Minnie, who were immediately kissed upon some indistinctly stated grounds by Mr. Voles, who then kissed the entire impassive Mrs. Voles, and smacked his lips and remarked, "'Home again, safe and sound!' Then, with a strange harrowing cry, Mrs. Larkins seized upon and bedewed Miriam with kisses. Annie and Minnie kissed each other, and Johnson went abruptly to the door of the vestry and stared into the church, no doubt with ideas of sanctuary in his mind. "'Like a bit of a kiss round sometimes,' said Mr. Voles, and made a kind of hissing noise with his teeth, and suddenly smacked his hands together with great éclat several times. Meanwhile the clergyman scratched his cheek with one hand, and fiddled the pen with the other, and the verger coughed protestingly. "'The dog-cart's just outside,' said Mr. Voles. "'No walking home to-day for the bride, ma'am.' "'Not going to drive us?' cried Annie. "'The happy pair, miss. Your turn soon.' "'Oh, get out,' said Annie. "'I shan't marry, ever.' "'You won't be able to help it. You'll have to do it, just to disperse the crowd.' Mr. Voles laid his hand upon Mr. Polly's shoulder. The bridegroom gives his arm to the bride, hand across and down the middle, prump-prump-prump-prump-prump-prump. Mr. Polly found himself and the bride leading the way toward the western door. Mrs. Larkins passed close to Uncle Penstemon, sobbing too earnestly to be aware of him. "'Such a goo-goo-girl!' she sobbed. "'Didn't think I'd come, did you?' said Uncle Penstemon, but she swept past him, too busy with the expression of her feelings to observe him. "'She didn't think I'd come, I lay,' said Uncle Penstemon, a little foiled, but affecting an auditory lodgment upon Johnson. "'I don't know,' said Johnson, uncomfortably. "'I suppose you were asked. How are you getting on?' "'I was asked,' said Uncle Penstemon and brooded for a moment. Oh, "'Goes about seeing wonders,' he added, and then in a sort of entranced undertone, "'One of her girls getting married. That's what I mean by wonders. 
Lord's goodness! Nothing the matter? asked Johnson. Got it in the back for a moment. Going to be a change of weather, I suppose, said Uncle Penstemon. I brought her a nice present, too, what I got in this passel. Valuable old tea caddy that used to be my mother's. What I kept my backy in for years and years, till the hinge at the back got broke. It ain't been no use to me particular since. So, thinks I, drat it, I may as well give it to her as not. Mr. Polly found himself emerging from the western door. Outside a crowd of half a dozen adults and about fifty children had collected, and hailed the approach of the newly wedded couple with a faint, indeterminate cheer. All the children were holding something in little bags, and his attention was caught by the expression of vindictive concentration upon the face of a small, big-eared boy in the foreground. He didn't for the moment realise what these things might import. Then he received a stinging handful of rice in the ear, and a great light shone. "'Not yet, you young fool!' he heard Mr. Voles saying behind him, and then a second handful spoke against his hat. "'Not yet,' said Mr. Voles, with increasing emphasis, and Mr. Polly became aware that he and Miriam were the focus of two crescents of small boys, each with a light of massacre in his eyes, and a grubby fist clutching into a paper bag for rice, and that Mr. Voles was warding off probable discharges with a large red hand. The dog-cart was in charge of a loafer, and the horse and the whip were adorned with white favours, and the back seat was confused but not untenable with hampers. "'Up we go,' said Mr. Voles. "'Old birds in front and young ones behind.' An ominous group of ill-restrained rice-throwers followed them up as they mounted. "'Get your handkerchief for your face,' said Mr. Polly to his bride, and took the place next the pavement with considerable heroism held on, gripped his hat, shut his eyes, and prepared for the worst. "'Off!' said Mr. Voles, and a concentrated fire came stinging Mr. Polly's face. The horse shied, and when the bridegroom could look at the world again, it was manifest the dog-cart had just missed an electric train by a hair's breadth, and far away outside the church railings, the verger and Johnson were battling with an active crowd of small boys for the life of the rest of the Larkins family. Mrs. Punt and her son had escaped across the road, the son trailing and stumbling at the end of a remorseless arm, but Uncle Penstemon, encumbered by the tea-caddy, was the centre of a little circle of his own, and appeared to be dratting them all very heartily. Remoter, a policeman, approached with an air of tranquil unconsciousness. "'Steady, you idiot! Steady!' cried Mr. Voles, and then over his shoulder, "'I brought that rice. I like old customs. Whoa! Steady!' The dog-cart swerved violently, and then, evoking a shout of groundless alarm from a cyclist, took a corner and the rest of the wedding party was hidden from Mr. Polly's eyes. 6. 
"'We'll get the stuff into the house before the old gal comes along,' said Mr. Voles, "'if you hold the hoss.' "'What about the key?' asked Mr. Polly. "'I got the key. Coming.' And, while Mr. Polly held the sweating horse and dodged the foam that dripped from its bit, the house absorbed Miriam and Mr. Voles altogether. Mr. Voles carried in various hampers he had brought with him, and finally closed the door behind him. For some time Mr. Polly remained alone with his charge in the little blind alley outside the Larkins house, while the neighbours scrutinised him from behind their blinds. He reflected that he was a married man, and that he must look very much like a fool, that the head of the horse is a silly shape, and its eye a bulger. He wondered what the horse thought of him, and whether it really liked being held and patted on the neck, or whether it only submitted out of contempt. Did it know he was married? Then he wondered if the clergyman had thought him much of an ass, and then whether the individual lurking behind the lace curtains of the front room next door was a man or a woman. A door opened over the way, and an elderly gentleman in a kind of embroidered fez appeared smoking a pipe with a quiet, satisfied expression. He regarded Mr. Polly for some time with mild but sustained curiosity. Finally he called. "'Aye!' "'Hello!' said Mr. Polly. "'You needn't hold that horse,' said the old gentleman. "'Spirited beast,' said Mr. Polly, and, with some faint analogy to ginger beer in his mind, "'He's up to-day.' "'He won't turn hisself around,' said the old gentleman, "'anyhow, and there ain't no way through for him to go.' "'Verbum uh, sat,' said Mr. Polly, and abandoned the horse, and turned to the door. It opened to him just as Mrs. Larkins on the arm of Johnson, followed by Annie, Minnie, two friends, Mrs. Punt and her son, and, at a slight distance, Uncle Penstemon appeared round the corner. "'They're coming,' he said to Miriam, and put an arm about her, and gave her a kiss. She was kissing him back when they were startled violently by the shying of two empty hampers into the passage. Then Mr. Voles appeared, holding a third. "'Here, you'll have plenty of time for that presently,' he said. "'Get these hampers away before the old girl comes.' I got a cold collation here to make her sit up. My eye! Miriam took the hampers, and Mr. Polly, under compulsion from Mr. Voles, went into the little front room. A profuse pie and a large ham had been added to the modest provision of Mrs. Larkins, and a number of select-looking bottles shouldered the bottle of sherry and the bottle of port she had got to grace the feast. They certainly went better with the iced wedding-cake in the middle. Mrs. Voles, still impassive, stood by the window regarding these things with faint approval. "'Makes it look a bit thicker, eh?' said Mr. Voles, and blew out both his cheeks and smacked his hands together violently several times. "'Surprise the old girl no end!' 
He stood back and smiled, and bowed with arms extended as the others came clustering at the door. "'Why, Uncle Voles!' cried Annie, with a rising note. It was his reward. And then came a great wedging and squeezing and crowding into the great room. Nearly everyone was hungry, and eyes brightened at the sight of the pie and the ham and the convivial array of bottles. "'Sit down, everyone,' cried Mr. Voles. "'Leaning against anything counts as sitting, and it makes it easier to shake down the grub.' Two friends from Miriam's place of business came into the room among the first, and then wedged themselves so hopelessly against Johnson in an attempt to get out again and take off their things upstairs that they abandoned the attempt. Amid the struggle Mr. Polly saw Uncle Penstemon relieve himself of his parcel by giving it to the bride. "'Here,' he said, and handed it to her. "'Wedding present,' he explained, and added with a confidential chuckle, oh, "'I never thought I'd have to give you one, ever.' "'Who says steak and kidney pie?' bawled Mr. Voles. "'Who says steak and kidney pie? "'You have a drop of old Tommy, Martha. "'That's what you want to steady you. "'Sit down, everyone, and don't all speak at once. "'Who says steak and kidney pie?' "'Vociferacious,' whispered Mr. Polly. "'Convivial vociferations.' "'Bit of ham with it?' shouted Mr. Voles poising a slice of ham on his knife. "'Anyone have a bit of ham with it? Won't that little man of yours, Mrs. Punt, won't he have a bit of ham?' "'And now, ladies and gentlemen,' said Mr. Voles, still standing and dominating the crammed roomful, "'now you've got your plates filled, and something I can warrant you good in your glasses. What about drinking the health of the bride?' "'Eat a bit first, said Uncle Penstemon speaking with his mouth full, amidst murmurs of applause. "'Eat a bit first, And so they did, and the plates clattered and the glasses chinked. Mr. Polly stood shoulder to shoulder with Johnson for a while. "'In for it,' said Mr. Polly, cheeringly. "'Cheer up, old man, and peck a bit. No reason why you shouldn't eat, you know.' The punt boy stood on Mr. Polly's boots for a minute, struggling violently against the compunction of Mrs. Punt's grip. "'Pie!' said the punt-boy. "'Pie!' "'You sit here and have ham, my lord,' said Mrs. Punt, prevailing. "'Pie you can't have, and you won't.' "'Lord, bless my heart, Mrs. Punt,' protested Mr. Voles. "'Let the boy have a bit if he wants it, wedding and all.' "'You haven't had him sick in your hands, Uncle Voles,' said Mrs. Punt, "'else you wouldn't want to humour his fancies as you do.' "'I can't help feeling it's a mistake, old man,' said Johnson, in a confidential undertone. "'I can't help feeling you've been rash. Let's hope for the best.' "'Always glad of good wishes, old man,' said Mr. Polly. "'You'd better have a drink or something, anyhow.' Sit down to it. Johnson subsided gloomily, and Mr. Polly secured some ham, and carried it off and sat himself down on the sewing-machine on the floor in the corner to devour it. He was hungry, and a little cut off from the rest of the company by Mrs. Vole's hat and back, 
and he occupied himself for a time with Ham and his own thoughts. He became aware of a series of jangling concussions on the table. He craned his neck and discovered that Mr. Voles was standing up and leaning forward over the table in a manner distinctive of after-dinner speeches, tapping upon the table with a black bottle. "'Ladies and gentlemen,' said Mr. Voles, raising his glass solemnly in the empty desert of sound he had made, and paused for a second or two. "'Ladies and gentlemen, the bride!' He searched his mind for some suitable wreath of speech, and brightened at last with discovery. "'Here's luck to her,' he said at last. "'Here's luck,' said Johnson, hopelessly but resolutely, and raised his glass. Everybody murmured, "'Here's luck!' "'Luck!' said Mr. Polly, unseen in his corner, lifting a forkful of ham. "'That's all right.' said Mr. Voles, with a sigh of relief at having brought off a difficult operation. "'And now, who's for a bit more pie?' For a time conversation was fragmentary again, but presently Mr. Voles rose from his chair again. He had subsided with a contented smile after his first oratorical effort, and produced a silence by renewed hammering. "'Ladies and gents,' he said, fill up for the second toast, the happy bridegroom." He stood for half a minute searching his mind for the apt phrase that came at last in a rush. "'Here's luck to him,' said Mr. Voles. "'Luck to him,' said everyone, and Mr. Polly, standing up behind Mrs. Voles, bowed amiably amidst enthusiasm. "'He may say what he likes,' said Mrs. Larkins. "'He's got luck. "'That girl's a treasure of treasures and always has been, "'ever since she tried to nurse her own little sister. "'But being three at the time and fell the full flight of stairs from top to bottom, "'no hurt that any outward eye has ever seen, "'but always ready and helpful, always tidying and busy.' A treasure, I must say, and a treasure I will say, giving no more than her due." She was silenced altogether by a rapping sound that would not be denied. Mr. Voles had been struck by a fresh idea, and was standing up and hammering with the bottle again. "'The third toast, ladies and gentlemen,' he said. "'Fill her up, please. The mother of the bride. I uh, 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 la ladies and gem, here's luck to her. End of chapter six, section three.